Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for standing by. Welcome to the Altagas Second Quarter 2020 Financial Results Conference Call. My name is Chris, and I'll be your operator for today's call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. If you have any difficulties hearing the conference, please press star and then zero for operator assistance at any time. After the speaker remarks, there will be a question and answer session. As a reminder, this conference call is being broadcast live on the internet and recorded. I would now like to turn the conference call over to Adam McKnight, Director of Investor Relations. Please go ahead, Mr. McKnight. Thanks, Chris. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us today for the Alta Gas Second Quarter 2020 Financial Results Conference Call. Speaking on the call this morning will be Randy Crawford, President and Chief Executive Officer, James Harbillis, Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer, We're also joined here this morning by Randy Toon, Executive Vice President and President of our Midstream business, Blue Jenkins, Executive Vice President and President of our Utilities business, and Washington Gas, and new to the team, John Morrison, Senior Vice President, Investor Relations and Corporate Development. As always, today's prepared remarks will be followed by an analyst question and answer period. I'll remind everyone that the Investor Relations team will be available after the call for any follow-up or detailed modeling questions. We'll proceed on the basis that everyone has taken the opportunity to view the press release um, that we issued earlier today. And I'll also remind everyone that we will refer to forward-looking information on today's call. This information is subject to the risks and uncertainties as outlined in the forward-looking information disclosure on slide two of our presentation, which can be found on our website, and more fully within our public disclosure filings on the EGAR or CDAR system. As for the structure of the call, we'll start with Randy Crawford to review some strategic and other focus points, followed by James Harbillis on the financial results and outlook. Then we'll turn it over for a healthy Q&A session. With that, I'll now turn the call over to Randy Crawford. Thank you, Adam, and good morning, everyone. Alta Gas delivered strong second quarter results and continued to perform well, both financially and operationally, while managing the ongoing impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. Despite the challenges created by the pandemic, our second quarter normalized EBITDA, adjusted for prior year sales, asset sales, increased by more than 13% versus the prior year comparable quarter, and we are well positioned to meet our overall objectives for the year. We continue to be pleased with the resilience and durability that our midstream and utility businesses have exhibited. We believe this is a testament to our diversified platform and our purposeful actions that we have taken over the past 18 months to focus the company, de-risk the platform, and reduce financial leverage. I am proud of the fact that our dedicated workforce has been able to maintain safe and reliable operations, continue to deliver critical energy to our customers, and honor our social and moral contract with the communities we serve. This feat was only possible through their tireless efforts, adaptability, and our valued vendor partners. 
Our people are the heart of this company, and their spirit and resilience ensures my confidence that we will continue to execute our strategy and maintain our commitment to safety and operational excellence. At Alta Gas, we have an unwavering commitment to our core values. It's our approach to governance and oversight combined with how we invest in and support our people, our customers, our communities, and the environment that will allow us to build both a sustainable and financial successful future. We are committed to diversity and inclusion. Diverse and inclusive teams are better positioned to deliver more positive business results for the communities that we serve. Our commitment to having a diverse workforce and inclusive culture is not new, and our diversity metrics reflect the communities we serve. We remain committed to continue our efforts to build more diverse and inclusive teams going forward. Our utility businesses continued its strong execution during the quarter. Our focus on operational excellence at WGL continues to progress well, with the year-to-date operating income up nearly 10% versus the prior year comparable period. Our transmission and distribution systems continue to operate in line with our high reliability standards. This strong execution is a result of the capital investments we have made over the past few years through our accelerated pipeline replacement program and our renewed focus on operational excellence to enhance our customer value proposition, provide outstanding customer service and clean energy solutions. We remain committed to continue our history of proven energy innovation and focus on environmental, social, and governance issues, or ESG. Both Alta Gas and Washington Gas have excelled in bringing new clean energy sources to customers. Of note, WGL has filed with the Washington, D.C. Commission our plan to deliver our commitment to help Washington, D.C. and our world to meet future climate goals. The plan builds on the foundation of key ESG elements we have been focused on for more than 25 years. Through collaboration with the district to implement the steps toward decarbonization, it provides us the opportunity to continue to leverage our resilient, fast, and established energy delivery and storage system to reduce emissions while providing affordable and reliable energy. Our plan promotes customer energy efficiency and savings builds and maintains a modern infrastructure for today and the future, and introduces carbon-free fuels, such as renewable natural gas and hydrogen. This includes investing in and piloting some of these emerging, emerging technologies and will maintain and enhance the region's position as responsible climate leaders. Our midstream segment continues to leverage our unique structural advantage to export cleaner energy to Asia and expand our footprint in Northeast BC. RIPIT, celebrated its first year anniversary of being operational in the quarter and had another strong performance with the terminal contributing 30 million in normalized EBITDA. In Q2, we reported nearly 42,000 barrels a day of Canadian propane to Asia. Spread across seven ships, we were also very close to loading an eighth ship at the end of June, but that was pushed to July 1st and July 2nd and will now be captured in the third quarter. With strong execution from the midstream team and the work we are doing with our strategic partners to bring operations and logistics together, we remain confident that we will be able to hit our 50,000 barrels a day export target before year end. This business is well positioned to continue to deliver ongoing financial performance with approximately 70% of our midstream normalized EBITDA being underpinned by take or pay and fee for service agreements. In addition, 86% of RIPIT's 2020 expected export volumes are underpinned by tolling agreements or hedge price contracts. 
We were also pleased to see the transaction announced last week where Kelp Exploration, one of our high-quality customers in northeastern B.C., sold its Inga assets to ConocoPhillips for more than $500 million. We look forward to working with ConocoPhillips as the company expands its presence in the region. The transaction validates our thesis behind building a leading midstream presence in northeastern B.C. and further positions us to lean on recent CapEx deployments, including the North Pine and Townsend expansions, that came online in the quarter, as well as RIP it to deliver stable results. We are excited about the opportunity to expand our LPG export footprint and midstream presence through the, our acquisition of an increased ownership of Petrogas. Confident that this transaction will create value for our shareholders and customers. It will expand our midstream value proposition through the increase of additional assets at Ferndale and Port Saskatchewan. We will continue to advance our strategic goal towards operating a fully integrated logistics network that underpins our position as a leading midstream company. We continue to focus on operational excellence business model, improving our financial returns and driving value within our existing core assets. We are building a resilient business that is focused on creating durable and expanding earnings. There is simply no better way to generate value for our shareholders than improving the return on capital that has already been deployed and ensuring a return above our cost of capital on all new organic investment. We are immensely proud of what we have accomplished in the past 18 months. There is more good work left to be done, and we look forward to continuing that work. We believe there's a uniqueness in a diversified model. We have the opportunity for industry-leading rate-based growth at our utilities. We are positioned to be able to internally fund the growth of our utilities rate base and reduce debt through the significant excess free cash flow coming from our strong and growing midstream business, and redeploy a portion of those funds into our profitable investment and our rate-based growth at our utility operations. Having the ability to operate a self-funding model with the opportunity to profitably execute on one of the highest rate-based growths in the industry is a rarity, and we're excited for the opportunity. We remain committed to continue adding shareholder value. Our actions will follow the well-defined strategy that we've laid out. The journey to achieving operationally excellence, operational excellence is continuous, and we are relentlessly evaluating what other levers we may pull with a driven and creative team that is focused on continuous improvement. Overall, we are pleased with the progress we've made so far in 2020. Heading into the second half of the year, we believe we are well positioned to achieve the previously disclosed full year expectations and are well positioned for profitable earnings growth into the future. In summary, we are pleased with the second quarter operating and financial results and the ongoing resiliency of the platform. We firmly believe our utilities in our utilities infrastructure investment program. It continues our commitment to improve safety and provide reliable value to our customers and positions us to create a more carbon neutral environment. We have the unique opportunity to grow our midstream business through our strategic footprint in Northeast BC and our ability to increase the export of Canadian produced propane to Asia. Our recent investments in Townsend, North Pine, and Rippet position us to capture significant free cash flow that will provide us the opportunity to grow our utilities rate base, reduce debt, and increase dividends. And with that, I will turn the discussion over to James. Thank you, Randy, and good morning, everyone. Looking at the financial highlights of the second quarter, our diversified platform continued to provide predictable and reliable performance. Within the midstream segment, we realized, con con realized continued strong operations at Ripit, 
including record export volumes in the quarter, which was aided by contributions from the Townsend 2B and North Pine expansions. Within our utility segment, results reflected the normal seasonal slowdown in energy demand that is associated with the spring and summer months. Positively, we realized growth across each of our regulated utilities driven by 2019 rate cases and continued spending in our accelerated replacement programs. The most significant headwind in the quarter was lower margins within our retail business, which was underpinned by COVID-19 impacts and pressures on some of our commercial and industrial customers. The business unit is a small component of our platform, representing approximately 3% of 2020 estimated EBITDA. Normalized EBITDA came in at $206 million for the quarter, slightly below Q2 2019 levels of $211 million. Excluding lost EBITDA of approximately $29 million associated with the non-core asset sales, our remaining businesses grew by approximately 13% year-over-year. Normalized net income for the second quarter was $17 million, or $0.06 cents per share, up considerably from $1 million in Q2 2019. Overall, lower interest and depreciation amortization expenses were partially offset by higher income taxes. Interest expense was down approximately $12 million year-over-year on lower debt balances as a result of the deleveraging work we completed over the past year, combined with lower interest rates on refinancings. Depreciation amortization expense was lower by approximately $14 million year-over-year, primarily due to asset sales and a one-time adjustment related to the termination of a natural gas contract for purchase commitments in the U.S. midstream business. Finally, income taxes were higher by $10 million, largely due to higher earnings in the quarter. Normalized funds from operation were up approximately 18% year-over-year to $141 million, or $0.51 cents per share, due to lower current interest expense and lower current income tax expense. During the quarter, we successfully refinanced all our remaining 2020 maturities through two debt financings. This included SEMCO completing a private placement of $450 million U.S. of first mortgage bonds on April 21st, and Altagas closing a $500 million issue of senior unsecured notes on June 10th. These two issuances, combined with lower interest rates, are expected to result in interest expense savings of approximately $9 million in 2020, and roughly $14 million on an annualized basis. We also continue to make progress on our strategy to focus the business. In June, we entered into a stock purchase agreement with Clarion Energy to sell the Ripon facility. The transaction is expected to close in the third quarter. Subsequent to the quarter end, on July 20th, we closed the sale of the Pomona battery storage facility for gross proceeds of $47 million U.S., less closing working capital adjustments. Although the transaction was smaller in scale compared to past divestitures, it demonstrates our continued efforts on focusing the business and will be slightly credit positive. Normalized EBITDA within the utility segment was $80 million for the quarter, slightly below Q2 2019. As I previously mentioned, growth at our regulated utilities was driven by our 2019 settled rate cases, ARP spending, and strong operational execution which was partially overshadowed by COVID-19-related impacts, including lower margins in our retail business. As a reminder, approximately 70% of our regulated utilities' earnings are protected through decoupling and fixed billing charges, and all the jurisdictions where we operate have approved the creation of regulatory assets to allow for the recovery of incremental costs related to COVID-19. We are tracking these costs 
and our large and our lost revenue due to the pandemic, and we will continue to work with our regulators on the definitions and treatment of recoverable impacts within those regulatory assets. We anticipate that a portion of our COVID-19 related impacts within our regulated utilities will be recoverable down the road. However, there will be a timing lag associated with these recaptures. At the regulated utilities, WGL's normalized EBITDA was approximately $44 million for the second quarter, up $3 million year over year on higher revenue from the Maryland and Virginia rate cases and higher accelerated pipe replacement program spending. This growth was partially offset by the cancellation of late fees and service charges revenue due to regulatory orders that suspended this activity in our jurisdictions as a result of COVID-19. We also experienced less usage for CNI customers in certain jurisdictions that don't benefit from decoupling. In Michigan, SEMCO contributed $21 million to normalize EBITDA in the second quarter, up $3 million year over year. Higher rates associated with the 2019 rate case and colder weather were partially offset by lower customer usage. NSTAR and SINGSA contributed $17 million of normalized EBITDA for the quarter, which was in line with last year and our expectations. Lastly, in the utility segment, normalized EBITDA from the retail business was lowered by $7 million year over year, primarily due to lower margins associated with COVID-19. This is where we saw some of the largest impact of the pandemic, but we do not expect this to result in any long-term or lasting impacts on the platform. All in all, we are pleased with the performance of utilities business and the stability that it continues to demonstrate. Looking ahead to the remainder of the year, we believe the largest of the COVID-19 related impacts within our regulated utilities platform are behind us, but we caveat that by acknowledging that we are living in uncertain times as a result of the pandemic that change from week to week. Within the retail business, things have started to improve and the third and fourth quarters are expected to exhibit performance that is pushing back towards more traditional operating patterns. Within the midstream segment, second quarter normalized EBITDA was $111 million, up approximately 9% over Q2 2019. Factoring in lost EBITDA of approximately $14 million associated with the 2019 sale of Stonewall and Central Penn, our remaining midstream business grew by approximately 20 26% year-over-year. Ripit generated approximately $30 million of normalized EBITDA in the second quarter on exports of nearly 42,000 barrels per day spread across seven ships. This equates to a blended EBITDA margin of approximately $8 per barrel. Approximately 30,000 barrels of Ripit's second quarter export volumes were hedged at an average FEI to Mount Bellevue spread of approximately $9 US per barrel. Fractionation and liquid, liquids handling volumes increased in the second quarter due to the North Pine expansion and the Townsend deep cut facility that were brought into service earlier this year. Growth was partially offset by lower volumes at Hermatton due to reduced upstream activities and shut-ins that were so associated with low commodity prices. Positively, we have seen much of those volumes come back in recent weeks as shut-ins have been brought back online. Gas processing volumes were modestly lower in the second quarter versus the same quarter last year. New volumes at the Nig Creek and Townsend deep cut facilities and higher interruptible volumes at Gordondale were more than offset by lower volumes at Blair Creek and the Townsend shallow cut facilities, as well as lower volumes at the extraction facilities due to reduced upstream activity. 
We have, so we have seen volumes improve at our facilities to start Q3. During the second quarter, we recorded equity earnings of $7 million from Petrogas compared to $11 million in the same quarter of 2019. The decrease was due to the slowdown in industry activity related to COVID-19, lower export volumes, and lower commodity prices and realized margins. Positively, demand for North American propane in Asia remains strong, and this should drive improvements at Petrogas in the second half of the year. Overall, our midstream business continues to deliver strong results despite the economic challenges that the entire industry is facing. We continue to see healthy throughput volumes at our facilities, which we believe is a function of the quality and location of our assets, as well as Altagas being partnered with high-quality clients and operating an integrated value chain that links our customers to premium export markets in Asia. We remain on track to hit our 50,000 barrel per day export target by year end, with over 85% of RIPIT's expected 2020 export volumes either operating under tolling agreements or hedged. As such, we continue to expect strong and predictable results from RIPIT through the second half of the year. Volumes have been constructive through the first half of 2020, and we are optimistic that the recent momentum in crude and NGL pricing will help mitigate what could have been more pronounced upstream, upstream spending declines over the next 12 to 18 months. In the second half of the year, we anticipate that processing volumes will improve towards the levels that we were expecting earlier in the year, which we have seen play out in recent weeks, with much of this production linked to our recent facility expansions and the associated ramp-up in customer throughput at these facilities. We have hedges in place for approximately 100% of our frac-exposed NGL volumes at a blended rate of $29 per barrel. Our $900 million 2020 capital program remains unchanged, with approximately 75 to 80% directed towards the utility business. Roughly 80% of that utilities capex is being targeted to accelerated replacement programs, while maintenance spending is largely being calibrated to match depreciation. Most of our 2020 midstream capex spending has already been deployed on the Townsend and North Pine expansions, which are both now in service and contributing to stable operations and earnings. We ended the second quarter with $6.8 billion in net debt, down from $7.2 billion at the end of 2019. Our self-funded 2020 capital plan remains unchanged, with the only item that could materially alter that spend profile being the Petrogas transaction, where we continue to work through the valuation process. As we have said in the past, although our funding plan is not dependent on any further asset sales, we will continue to look at non-core divestitures opportunistically as the market moves back to a more normal state in an effort to continue to strengthen the balance sheet. The largest remaining non-core assets in our portfolio includes our 10% interest in the Mountain Valley Pipeline and our approximate 5,000 megawatt Blythe natural gas-fired power generation asset in Southern California. And while the total cost estimates on the Mountain Valley Pipeline have seen cost escalation in recent years, we remind investors that our capital commitment for our 10% stake has been capped at 352 million US with no more cash to be deployed on our part, which makes our ownership stake a unique asset. The project is currently 92% complete with only the Appalachian Trail crossings remaining, while two recent favorable Supreme Court rulings have significantly de-risked the project, leading to a revised in-service date of early 2021. As we have said in the past, we continue to maintain significant financial flexibility with Altagas's excess liquidity expected to exceed $4 billion at 2020 year-end. 
In summary, we're happy with how our midstream and utilities businesses have performed through the first half of the year with only marginal impacts associated with the global pandemic. And while the macro set is naturally opaque and we continue to monitor COVID closely, we are pleased with the resilience and durability of the platform experienced to date. We also believe that similar high-level trends should be exhibited in the back half of the year, and as such, we are reiterating 2020 guidance and expect to land in the range of normalized EBITDA of 1.275 to 1.325 billion and normalized EPS of 120 to 130 per share. With that, we'd like to turn it over uh, to the operator for the Q&A session. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now conduct the analysis question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question, press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. If you'd like to withdraw your question, press the pound key. There will be a brief pause while we compile the Q&A roster. Our first question comes from Rob Hope with Scotiabank. Your line is open. Uh, afternoon, everyone, or morning uh, if you're on the West. Uh, thanks for taking the question. First one's on Ripit. So we saw a ship kind of you know, slip into July, but your July volumes have been quite strong. You know, as you look into August and September, and I guess the balance of the year, you know, is it, uh, you know, are you, are you targeting kind of that, you know, two to three a month to get to the 50,000 barrels a day for the rest of the year? And if so, kind of what are your key constraints right now there? Thank you, Rob. Uh, thanks for the question. And, and uh, good, good morning and afternoon to you as well. I think good morning. Um, look, we've experienced, uh, you know, increasing Canadian demand and access uh, to our unique capability, and, and the team's doing an excellent job in, in demodelmacking. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very optimistic uh, uh, about where we're headed, um, but I'm going to let Randy uh, go through and answer you know, a little bit more detail about uh, some of the actions we're taking to, to drive increased throughput and meet the demand uh, of our customers. Randy? Uh, thanks, Randy. Uh, so we, the, the eighth ship did go into Q3, and if that ship was loaded in, at the end of Q2, we would have been closer to that 50,000 barrel a day level. So the, the goal is to do eight ships a quarter, and uh, you know, with this ship going into Q3, you know, the goal would be to do nine ships in uh, Q3. But uh, you know, we we do have the supply, and uh, now it's just you know, uh, optimizing logistics to to, to make it work. All right, that's helpful. And then turning uh, over to the utilities, how are you balancing your, your cost containment initiatives in a COVID world? And I guess secondly, there is, you know, do you think you could get resolution on, on cost recovery on some of these COVID costs by the end of the year? Well, Rob, I think that, uh, I think as James had said, um, you know, with particularly these costs, we're coming into our kind of off-peak periods, and we think um, most of this is behind us. So, uh, you know, again, we, we've got a, a filing in August uh, to update Maryland uh, on the cost structures that were in, in some of the questions. So I think you know, there hasn't been a, a formal way of, of uh, proceeding to recover these costs, but we've had pretty clean orders on the deferral, uh, and we're working through the timing of the recovery mechanisms. But uh, but overall, not not you know, overly material, clearly, uh, as to where we are now. On your second question, uh, in terms of how we you know, what I would say about the, our operationally effectiveness journey, if you will, that, you know, we have created, uh, we've got a really creative team that's focused on the continuous improvement, um, and, and I think they've done an excellent job, and, but it does require the ability to identify new, new technologies and take costs um, out over time, and 
you know, we don't, uh, I don't want to estimate, you know, that requires uh, in terms of culture and focus to implement these new technologies and take cost out over time. But so there's, there's work to do. But Blue has you know, pulled together a team that is, is coming up uh, with so many uh, creative and great ideas. So our discipline is there. It's our creativity, our innovation, commitment. And, and we are going to improve those costs, improve service, and create you know, value to our customers. Uh, I think that working with our, our customers, the, the commissions, I think uh, it, it we're going to be able to meet our, our targets of uh, reaching our allowed return uh, into 2021. All right. Appreciate the color. Thank you. Our next question is from Jeremy Tonnet with J.P. Morgan. Your line is open. Hi, this is Joe on for Jeremy. Uh, wanted to start out with the um, ConocoPhillips um, Kelt acquisition and, and what that that means for you guys. Um, so, so are you? Um, if, have you had any discussions with with Conoco yet? And and if you, are you just thinking that increases volumes to your gas plants or allows for for potential expansions longer term? Well, I think obviously the, the, the transaction hasn't been closed, and, and so we have not had uh, a great deal of detailed discussions. But clearly, um, ConocoPhillips is, it has adjoining acreage uh, in the region. We have had discussions with them, and, uh, and we're excited about them coming in. I think, as I said in my re prepared remarks, Joe, and thank you for the question, that uh, it really validates the economics around our northeast BC uh, position. And uh, yeah, we would think that uh, we've got firm uh, commitments that we had previously had from Kelp, uh, and we in Conoco will step in those shoes. So uh, we're excited about that. Uh, it's difficult to predict how quickly volumes will come on uh, with the environment, uh, increased volumes that is, but, but over time we're very excited about it. Thanks, that's helpful. And then maybe uh, could you also just update us on if you've had any recent discussions on, on selling the MVP stake and, and uh, the ACP cancellation, if, if you think that could potentially garner any interest there, either you know, for someone to acquire the stake or, or getting additional commitments? Yeah, good question. I mean, look, uh, I've been consistently said that uh, we believe strongly in the Mountain Valley Pipeline project, that there are, uh, is, is an absolute essential need for that project. James mentioned in his prepared remarks that we're pleased with the Supreme Court's ruling regarding the Appalachian Trail authorization. Um, and we, we expect uh, the issuance of some revised biological opinions shortly. Uh, so as again, and so assuming the timing uh, resolution of those outstanding permits, I think that it's targeted to be a full in service uh, during 2021. So from our perspective, um, the asset is clearly being de-risked. Um, we've defined it as non-core. Um, and we will work uh, through the year uh, um, to see if, if, at the end of the day, if we could get full value for that. I mean, I've said you know, previously that we positioned our company um, you know, to, if we are going to monetize our non-core assets, we are not going to be taking below market value for those assets. So we're well positioned to do that. But clearly, as you point out, um, the recent order and the importance of, of uh, MVP uh, to the marketplace has uh, certainly increased. And, and just underscores the value, quite frankly, of pipelines that are in the ground. As we look at it, that's, uh, I think you know, that clearly demonstrates, even if you think about it, uh, the value of our export facilities. Uh, it's very hard to replicate those assets, um, and we feel the same way with the completion of MVP. Thank you. That's good to hear. Our next question comes from Robert Catellier with CIPC Capital Markets. Your line is open. 
primary, primarily follow-up questions here, but um, I think I heard you say effectively you don't expect uh, any significant impact on your earnings um, at the utilities from um, some of the accruing you're going to do for cost related to COVID. Um, but there, then there's the, the question of the recovery period and so the impact on cash flow. Um, can you just give a comment on what impact you think it might have on um, cash flow or credit metrics? Um, it sounds like it wasn't material from your previous comments. Now, since we got out um, uh, of the first quarter, right, uh, which is our you know, seasonally high quarter from a revenue perspective, uh, and we're in our off-peak season. But I'll let James talk about that, but relatively uh, minor, but I think he laid out the specific numbers. James, you want to go over those quickly? Yeah, Rob, it's, uh, it's James here. I mean, with respect to COVID impact, I guess it's important for us to, to break it out into two categories, right? I mean, we, we did touch on the fact that there was certain regulatory orders that uh, suspended the charging of late fees and service charges, and that was about 7 to $8 million of, of revenue impact, and we're tracking those and we'll bring those forward uh, for consideration by the regulators in the future. And then we had um, obviously some, some bad debts that, and, and other direct costs in operations that totaled about $5 million that we put into a regulatory asset account that we're going to bring forward for, for future collection uh, in, in, in consideration from, from the regulators. In terms of your broader question on, on uh, the impact to AR or a slowdown in collections, perhaps, you know, we've seen a, a working capital unwind in, in Q1 and Q2. Uh, we haven't seen a considerable deterioration in aging at this point, although that's something that we'll continue to monitor. Uh, so we haven't seen, other, other than, you know, the usual build of some working capital to, to build uh, storage at our, at our utilities, we haven't seen a, a, a considerable deterioration in, in the aging of AR at this point. Okay, uh, you gave some pretty good color on your, your hedging position. Yeah, I wondered if you could talk a little bit uh, more, uh, more about what happens beyond 2020. Uh, I don't know if you can address how much um, of the capacity will be tolling next year. Uh, how much you've hedged, or you know, how much uh, you might have uh, merchant risk? Sure. Let me let me go ahead and, and address it as best I can here. So what, right now, uh, we we have about 30% of our 2021 volumes uh, hedged through our tolling agreements. Uh, with the, you know, when we've had a recent improvement in the forward curve around Cal 21, so it's trading north of $8.80 a barrel. That's the FBI to Mount Bellevue spread and. So we've begun to layer in hedges you know, for our expected 2021 uh, merchant volumes, and, and we would expect to be 60 to 80% hedged as we enter into 2021. Now, with respect to your, your broader question about tolling and the de-risking of the asset over the long term, it's a major driver for us. You know, we've experienced, in, as I said, increased demand access to this unique capability, and I, I feel good about it um, because we're consistently being approached by launch aggregators uh, who want access to this unique capability. So we're not prepared to go beyond our, uh, where we are today but in terms of that guidance, but uh, I think you can tell by my tone that we're optimistic that we'll continue to move uh, toward a tolling arrangement uh, over the next year. Yeah, maybe just a little bit more color on the on the beyond the tolling, just the structure of the um, of the market. The spreads have come in a bit. So, um, any update you can give us on the fundamentals and your expectations as to how they might might have been impacted uh, year to date and how they might improve uh, going into 2021 for the uh, Asia Far East spread. 
Sure. We've, uh, you know, we've, you know, we've continued to see some, uh, you know, improvement uh, in the spreads and in the, you know, in the, in the volumes uh, in the basin are constructive. Uh, you know, begin to be constructed here in the second half, uh, and so we're expecting you know, processing volume you know, to improve. We're seeing, you know, strong demand at RIPA. We're seeing volumes come back. The, you know, um, you know, the, really at the end of the day, and I've talked about this a great deal, but the benefits of our structural shipping advantage, um, and so you know, shipping costs as margins, uh, you know, contract, uh, go down, right? So overall margins, you know, can uh, you know, can necessarily improve. And so we've got some, you know, shipping hedges as well. But but overall, I think you've got the best market in Canada for propane. You're going to continue to see an overwhelming of the local market as a lot of the you know, demand-based projects are pushed out. Um, and so we're, you know, in the long run, we, you know, we continue to, you know, to be bullish and uh, expanding and de-risking these volumes, and, and we continue to see robust uh, and long-term fundamentals of supply and demand imbalance for North America. So we're going to continue to lock in the spreads, but we see that continuing uh, in the long term. Okay, that's uh, very helpful. Thank you. Next question is from Patrick Kenny with National Bank Financial. Your line is open. Yeah, good morning, guys. Uh, so clearly the energy patch is, you know, entering a phase of consolidation here, and, and you guys appear to be in a unique situation to offer customers or new customers like Conoco um, some new market access opportunities. So just curious how that might play into discussions surrounding potential tucking opportunities for, you know, additional processing capacity um, and I guess boosting your proprietary access to propane closer to rip its full capacity. Appreciating that, you know, balance sheet strength is priority, but again, to the extent that there is a unique window of opportunity here to consolidate um, just how you're thinking about potential upstream infrastructure opportunities. Yeah, you know, that's a, a good question. Uh, you know, we've, uh, you know, we've continued to put a fundamental focus on uh, on improving our, our leverage metrics, but we we see opportunities to invest in both of our businesses, and we think this is an opportunistic time uh, to capture more volumes. Um, we're in an excellent position uh, in our midstream business. We're unique in the fact that we can offer our customers access to both domestic and international markets and the growing demand uh, in the pet chems uh, in Asia. So from that standpoint, in my experience, connecting producers uh, to markets and improving their net back uh, is a key driver in increasing volumes to your facilities, obviously. And so we can offer our customers at this point, uh, we have significant uh, low-cost expansion capacity at all of our facilities, uh, and so we, we'd certainly work to help the producers in, in a variety of different ways uh, to have them work to expand their volume. So, again, we're, we're focusing right now on, on harvesting those cash flows, uh, in through the year, but we can very well be opportunistic, and we will be uh, as we have further discussions and fill up the existing capacity and, and really add a lot of value to our customers at the end of the day. So we'll, look, we'll be looking for those opportunities uh, as we go forward. And I guess, Randy, at a high level, you know, from a business mix perspective, as you look to grow your midstream cash flows, especially once you close the Petrogas option, um, just in the context of how the market is currently valuing midstream versus utility assets. Is there any internal limit on what percentage of total EBITDA comes from midstream? Or, or said differently, like, is there an appetite to shift your weighting more towards utilities, just given the current macro backdrop 
Yeah, I think that you know, clearly with our capital spending this year, uh, in the next year with the 8 to 10% rate-based growth, you're going to continue to see uh, our utility EBITDA and rate-based growth uh, over the next uh, you know, five-plus years. So utility is going to grow as a percentage of our mix. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, we're expecting similar type of profile growth out of our midstream uh, company. And so we, you know, we take a position of a capital discipline approach and a, earning a return in excess of our cost of capital. And both businesses have excellent opportunities. And it's why we've focused our, our efforts on improving our balance sheet so that we can profitably pursue uh, these opportunities. So, you know, I think you'll see us continue to become more and more of, of, of a utility mix uh, over the next year or two, um, but we also continue to see opportunities uh, for growth at the midstream. So those percentages, uh, I think, will will tilt a bit more to the utility post, uh, you know, again, after Petrogas, we'll, we'll, we'll change the percentage a bit more. From that forward point, I think you'll continue to see utility be a larger percentage. You know, when you, when you talk about business mix, you know, look, we've, I want to make a comment that you know, we've done a lot of work to focus on the businesses where we see the greatest opportunity now, and, and we've got a unique investment, as I've said, position combining our midstream utility businesses. So I continue to believe that's the right strategy, uh, and as the quality and diversification assets provide us that opportunity to deliver that sustainable growth. So, well, the mix, uh, you know, will, will, will fluctuate. We have opportunities uh, Perspectively, to keep um, the utility to be a, a significantly large portion of that as we grow the midstream too. Okay, that's great. I'll I'll leave it there. Thanks, Randy. Our next question is from Robert Cohen with RBC Capital Markets. Your line is open. Hey, good morning. Um, if I can just maybe continue on that topic, and can I get your thoughts on the Dominion transaction, um, and if you're able to provide some thoughts to compare and contrast uh, their decision with your situation? Yeah, well, look, I mean, Dominion made a strategic decision, um, you know, to focus uh, in toward its uh, electric side of its business uh, and had significant capital requirements in that business. Um, you know, so there's, you know, clearly I don't think we have a $5 billion pipeline that we're writing off, uh, so we're not exactly the same there. But I understand your point, Robert, and, and I think that uh, – you know, when we look at, uh, you know, as a management team, you know, we're always looking at ways to, to surface va the full value of our assets. And, you know, that potentially, you know, one day, you know, could be separating those two platforms similar to what Dominion did. But we also need to stack that up against the fact that we are still in the early days of executing our strategy that we laid out last year. And we want to continue to, to focus at the task at hand. Um, and so we see a significant opportunity in both businesses. And um, so I think that we're a bit, that contrasts uh, our view, I think, maybe from what Dominion saw on its pipelines in terms of the opportunities uh, for expansion. Does that, when you think about your midstream business, then, does that cause you to maybe think differently um, with respect how you pr uh, pursue that business in the sense of if you're thinking about the potential for a full break, um, does that change your appetite to take on partnerships or a partial sell-down um, as that may make the standalone entity less attractive uh, well, look, given the medium to long term? Sure. Look, I think look, now is our time to execute, you know, and, and we've done the, you know, the work and we believe that's the best way to maintain that. And we're always looking at, at, at opportunities to, if I said this before on the calls, if there's a 
opportunity to partner or do JVs that one plus one equals three, we're, we're, we're absolutely going to do that, and we will not be constrained. What we are focused on is growing uh, profitable, both our profitable business in a capital-disciplined manner uh, and consistently growing uh, our business platform uh, to continue to grow earnings and the resiliency of our model. And I think we're doing a great job, and uh, no, I don't think it uh, – it affects our decision making, but we take all those factors into account as we make uh, you know, management sits down and looks at every lever that we have uh, available to us, Robert. Um, and then I just finish with a um, question on, on the upcoming elections and specifically when the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act was put into place. I think the guidance was that it would be about a 5% reduction EBITDA and FFO, um, just given the negative impact on utilities from the lower tax rates. Just wondering, do you have you taken a look at what actually got realized as part of that, and do you have some thoughts as to if if tax rates were to go up um, in the future, what that would mean, kind of for your business as it stands now, and and the ability to actually recover some of that in a timely fashion. Yeah, well, thank you for that question. I, I would, my perspective is that you know, when, when um, tax law and rates were reduced, uh, from a utility perspective, uh, we had excess uh, deferred taxes on the balance sheet, meaning that future liabilities that would not be at the same tax rate. So, you know, the utilities began to flow those uh, back, and those are over uh, periods of time in, in different jurisdictions. So, I would expect that from a utility perspective, if, if tax rates were increased, then uh, we would adjust those deferred taxes. So we're, I guess in the, we're in a position you know, maybe that's somewhat enviable than maybe other businesses where we would actually have excess deferred taxes that could absorb a, a, a federal tax increase. And just in terms of that 5% guidance that would originally was put out, is, is that fairly similar to what actually got realized in the business? You know what? I've done FFO. Sure. I'm, I'm going to have to defer that one to James, Robert, because I don't have those numbers if, if James has them in front of him or not. Yeah, no, Robert, I think that's uh, that's very much in the range of, of the impact. Obviously, it, it uh, was a bit different in terms of how certain regulators treated the, the refund of that and the timing of it uh, to, to some customers. Um, you know, the most aggressive refund was, was in Virginia, and, and we reflected that impact in uh, in 2019, but that's very much in the range of, of the impact that, uh, that had occurred on, on FFO to debt. Thank you very much. Our next question is from Julian Dumoulin-Smith with Bank of America. Your line is open. Good afternoon. Good morning. Thanks, uh, guys, thanks everyone, for the time. So um, just to follow up on some of these uh, questions here, you, you talked about uh, focusing on the utility. want to focus now on utility CapEx. Um, obviously, you've got a number of uh, programs um, underway in terms of um, accelerated re replacement programs. Um, can you talk about the DC program, um, what your ability is to shift capital around to the extent to which it isn't fully approved at your ask or, or otherwise? You know what I'm saying? Like as in the consistency and planning around to, to ensure sort of a smooth trajectory on capital? Yeah, great question, Julian. And, and we absolutely manage that as we move capital around and look at, at, at specific projects. It's sort of a project-based uh, approach. But I'm going to let Blue go ahead and, and, and answer that question for you. Blue? Sure. Yeah, thanks, Randy. Yeah, Julian, it's a great question. As you know, those are regulatory processes and proceedings. So we are in the process of working through what is called DC uh, Project Pipes 2. And so to your point, what we look for is an ongoing project mix 
that maximizes the positive impact to the system for safety, reliability, um, but also allows us to uh, to smooth the cash flow or, or the capex, uh, if you will, spend, uh, which then follows through on the cash flow. We do that across all of our jurisdictions. So we're very thoughtful about that. We're in constant conversations with the uh, oversight bodies on, on how that works and what's next there. We do look to maximize all of those programs as we move forward. So does that answer your question? Yeah, all right. You, you've, got, you've got contingencies in mind. Maybe that's, that's the critical underpinning. Correct. Right. We can move yeah. dollars to other jurisdictions and cruise around along those lines so that we can still smooth out and meet you know, our plans uh, uh, to the best extent possible on our accelerated pipeline replacement program. It's a big focus area. So, uh, yeah, Absolutely. and we've got some pretty consistency in Virginia and Maryland that give us flexibility, Julian. Excellent. Um, all right, and, and if I can turn back just quickly to the midstream side with Riffit. Can you talk a little bit more about the depth of the market? I mean, obviously things have um, turned around here, shall we say. Um, how do you think about the ability to hedge forward, especially on a tolling basis? I, I heard your comments earlier on 21 um, to the last questioner, but can you elaborate a little bit for, uh, more on the depth of, of multi-year uh, contracting and, and then just also um, the, the ability to sustain over time that 60 percent how, how high can you get as long as the tender? Yeah, you know what I mean? Clearly, when it comes to liquidity and hedging, uh, you know, we can get there over the next you know, few months as we do. But you're talking longer term. And when we go to de-risk these assets longer term, we're really looking at uh, our tolling uh, strategy. And we, as we do that, right, and I've said that we're experiencing you know, pretty, you know, in, you know, demand uh, for accessing this, this capability. So I feel pretty good. Um, and those are longer term, right? Those go into the 10-year-plus agreements. And, you know, the team's done an excellent job to date. And why am I bullish that we're going to do this over the long term and de-risk these assets, including Ferndale? It's because we're, as we have continued discussions uh, with large aggregators uh, and, and others in the basin, that uh, gives us the confidence that we're going to, to toll those. Now, now we could do multi-year hedges as well, uh, and we could look at that. Uh, but I think our real driver is is, to, is that we are a company in a, in a midstream company that connects uh, producers to markets. And we are not in the commodity business, and so we'll continue to de-risk that and uh, let our, our customers be able to realize those uh, margins uh, in, in Asia. If that answers your question. Hey, sorry, just, yeah, just quick clarification, because you, you said it this way. Over the long term, oh, you want long-term tolls. What time period do you think you get to a point in which you're, you're hedged at that, that 60 80% was on the tolling basis? Or putting words in your mouth. No, I got you. No, I think so. We're about 30% right now. I'd be disappointed if we're not there by the end of next year. I mean, I'm turning on the lower end of that, right, as we go through 2021, uh, if we don't get to that part, that we don't double that. That's going to be our objective. And, but, again, we'll see how the market you know, works, but that's where we're going to try to target as we go through 2021. Excellent. Thanks for the added clarity. Sure. Our next question is from Linda Ezra-Gallis with TD Securities. Your line is open. Thank you. Appreciate the uh, comprehensive update today and um, presentation. Uh, looking at slide 35, um, appreciate um, the sources and uses of cash and that you're at a self-funded model. Um, but I'm, I'm wondering at what, 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 what might uh, cause um, Altagas to either be opportunistic and maybe accelerate some deleveraging or um, pre-funding of, of future opportunities 
or uh, conversely uh, might cause um, you to shift your plans for uh, sources, for example, if asset sales don't materialize. And can you discuss kind of what other levers you might consider pulling, including potentially an, an ATM or a discrete equity issuance, and, and what factors would be in place for you to consider that seriously? Sure. I, you know, I can let James get a bit more specific into your question, Linda, and thank you for the questions. I, you know, from our perspective, we have a pretty strong track record of executing on our non-core asset sales, so we're very confident that we'll be able to do that. But clearly, um, this is not necessarily the best environment to, to be moving that forward. So we've continued to deleverage, and we feel confident that we'll be there. We will not miss if we have opportunities for financially rewarding capital projects that we can access the capital to do that going forward. But I think clearly our plan is, is pretty conservative. But James, why don't you, I'll let you, you know, get more. Yeah, so I mean, Linda, it, re it really comes down to um, the, the current macro environment we're in and, and with uh, the timing of moving forward with some of these asset monetizations as, the, as some of these continue to, to de-risk. So if we like some of the values that, that we're seeing for these assets because they've been de-risked, then that's something that we can move ahead with in, in the latter part of this year. And potentially, you know, raise raise some funding for for next year's capex program. Um, but obviously, the other the other thing that we're tracking closely is just the, this this current year capex program. At the end of Q2, we're tracking a bit um, behind our spend in terms of what our expectations were. So, so that could take uh, that that could take some uh, some money and, and move that into 2021 as well. Potentially, uh, especially given the fact that our midstream capex program is is a capital light approach that we're using right now. Okay, and, and what might cause you to uh, shift your funding plans and, and revisit it um, in any situation, if you see more opportunities potentially or uh, other factors? Yeah, I, I would tell you more strategically, you know, Linda, there would have to be some other opportunities that, that we would see out there that would require us to access capital beyond what we have uh, in our plan, inclusive of Petrogas, obviously. Uh, it would have to be something along those lines. But right now, we, we have a pretty focused plan, as I said in my comments. Uh, we, we're executing very well, uh, the team is, in terms of our EBITDA and our, our guidance. And look, we're focused, laser focused, on achieving net debt to EBITDA that's less than 5x and getting our ratings notched, you know, one or two above the triple B minus. And that's a priority. And, um, you know, so what, that's where our focus is. But certainly if there are opportunities that, uh, that come up that are new and that are in our that create shareholder value, we could revisit that. Okay. And maybe as a follow-up to um, the coming presidential election, uh, I guess beyond potential changes in tax rates, uh, I'm wondering if there are any other policy uh, changes potentially as it relates to perhaps renewable energy or other infrastructure build uh, that might open up opportunities for your franchise in the U.S.? Yeah, I think that uh, really it's hard to predict um, elections clearly, especially in, in the times that we're in today. But, you know, we try to position our company to be successful um, with uh, whomever might be in office, because it's oftentimes really about economics uh, and what makes sense for customers at the end of the day. So, but you know, renewables are clearly a big push. I think they'll continue to be because the economics supports them. Uh, and we'll look for funding on infrastructure to look at new technologies around our, as I've said in my prepared remarks, hydrogen and other fuels that may be able to blend into our system that can reduce uh, and decarbonize. And that's why, you know, I'm very excited 
Um, and, and, but we're early in the process, and, and what we're doing, working with the Washington, D.C. Commission, is to further enhance, you know, really our ability to innovate and deliver, you know, clean energy solutions. So I think as the election, uh, you know, plays out, um, you know, we like to position our company to be successful and confident that we will either way. Um, but there might be some ideas about the clean energy and, 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 and incenting infrastructure, and we think we'd be well positioned in the U.S. And, and really, we've been have a long, um, strong history, as I mentioned, around developing innovative clean energy solutions. So, thank you. Before we move on to our last question, I would like to remind participants that if you have any further questions, simply press star and then one on your telephone keypad. Your next question comes from Andrew Cusquet with Credit Suisse. Your line is open. Thanks. It's just on the um, frack spreads that you realized, and I'm, I'm aware of your hedging program as you disclosed it. So it looks like ballpark on the unhedged portion of the frack, you actually outperformed the average spot price through the quarter you maybe give a little bit of detail as to what went on there in the quarter on the unhedged portion? James, you want to address that? Or Randy? Sorry, Andrew, can, can you repeat the, the question? Yeah, if I, if I look at your, your frac spreads, what you realize, the 1661, and then I deconstruct your hedging program a little bit, which is about half the barrels that you had in the quarter, it seems like you've outperformed on the versus the average spot price on your unhedged portion. If you could maybe just give a bit of color as to what happened there, is that just the value of having your physical footprint positioning? Any other color would be great. Yeah, well, I think it's really the fact that we were hedged at a, at a much higher rate than than 50%. You know, we've been we've been hedged at uh, north of 90% for for most of the year, so we we were able to realize the higher frac spread relative to spot because of our, our active hedging program at, uh, at the end of last year and, and the beginning of this year. That's really what it came down to. You know, but, but to your you know, broader question, and that's spot on, but, um, you know, Randy and his team have always leveraged the physical assets to optimize value for both our customers as well as ourselves. So it doesn't surprise me that they you know, get a little bit better um, on some of that spot. Okay, that's great. And one maybe follow-up and a little bit different and just on the balance sheet. And, you know, Randy, you mentioned about, you know, all the work you've done on the balance sheet. I, I guess, how do you think about your metrics, you know, where, where you want to land them? And this is really at the WGL level and also the top of the house. And then the positive benefit of, let's just say, the regime changes in, in, in the U.S. from the tax regime and we see tax rates go up again. How does that play into your thought process? Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, with the utility, they tend to you know, want to be financed more from, a, say, 55% equity thickness uh, and, and the rest debt. You know, from our leverage, from a corporate perspective, and I just I mentioned it just a little bit earlier in, in a question. It might have been from Linda, but I was talking about our target of a net debt to EBITDA of less than 5X and, uh, and a notch or two above triple B minus. So that continues to be a priority from a corporate perspective, and we think with our business mix that uh, – it gives us, uh, you know, positions us quite well, um, both uh, you know, from ability to fund growth, uh, but also uh, a strong balance sheet with dry powder. Um, and so I don't think the, the tax rates or changes would impact uh, how we want to finance the business. James, did you want to comment on that anymore? No, I, I think you covered. I think you covered the, the salient points there, Randy. I mean, we do have additional levers to pull that we've uh, we've highlighted a few times on this call with respect to. Additional asset monetizations, and, and we continue to invest in in uh, 
the utility capex program with heavily weighted ARP, so that gives us uh, immediate recovery and, and reduces regulatory lag. So that's a that's another way for us to, to continue to move those leverage metrics down, uh, especially with the midstream business being being capital light and, and having the ability to grow into some of our existing investments that we've made in, in uh, prior years through increased volumes, which will in turn drive increased EBITDA. Okay, that's great. Thank you. This concludes the Q&A portion of today's call. I will now turn the call back over to Mr. McKnight. Thanks again, Chris. And thank you, everyone, once again for joining our call today and for your interest in Alta Gas. Just as a reminder, the investor relations team will be available after the call if you have any follow-up questions. Um, and that concludes our call this morning. I hope everyone enjoys the rest of their day, and you may now disconnect your phone lines. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.